morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening. Whatever the case may be on this rotating globe, welcome to another edition, live, of The Other Side of Midnight. That magical time between dusk and dawn when... Well, tonight, we're going to take you both vicariously and... Uh, I don't think we can do it live. I don't think I kind of set that up, but we'll know in a few minutes which way it went. Uh, we're doing something very different tonight. We are tackling the national pastime of baseball. Now, I remember uh, like a week ago when I announced this, I think it was late Sunday night, and uh, George and I were the only ones on the air, and I said to her, this is what I'm going to do next weekend, and she went, what? Um, baseball is fascinating, absolutely fascinating, um, for a whole bunch of reasons that I think you're going to enjoy tonight. We've got some, uh, <clears throat> pardon the pun, major players. Um, Robert Morningstar, who was one of our guests tonight, actually um, tried out for the Yankees in a um, uh, all-trade-out uh, uh, scenario there at, uh, um, I, I think it was Fenway, I'm not quite sure. Uh, we will find out. Uh, this was some years ago. He knows more about baseball than... Uh, I and Ron put together, but Ron is going to be with us, Ron Gerbron. He is uh, going to be maybe a few minutes late because we're having some calm problems, but I have a backup just in case because he's supposed to be uh, leading off tonight. While we're on the air, the second game of the um, uh, 2022 World Series is being played in Houston, and the Astros are leading at the moment, I think it's five to two, I think. Um, haven't checked in the last few minutes. Uh, we will obviously get a final at some point, And when we do, we will uh, give you the score. But if you want to go to the other side of midnight before we actually uh, swing into the game, uh, I've got a couple of items tonight, just two items. Um, item number one, speaking of games, NASA is going to try again to launch the Artemis One mission uh, for um, the return to the moon. They've tried, as you know, three times, and uh, or I'm sorry, two times, and there were technical issues with the hydrogen uh, leaks and valves and disconnects and all that. When the uh, rocket lifts off, they have to have what they call a disconnect so they have these special valves created. Hydrogen is incredibly hard to work with, liquid hydrogen most of all, because the molecule is really, 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 really tiny. And it gets through everything. Uh, my friend Kraft Ericke, many decades ago, was the one who, uh, as part of a team of General Dynamics, uh, cracked the code and figured out how to make it work. So... Um, They've had problems because even though the space launch system, which is the rocket, the big 300-plus-foot-tall uh, uh, rocket, which is going to launch the Orion spacecraft on a 25-day trip around the moon, even though it's basically uh, updated shuttle technology, and the shuttle technology for uh, uh, decades has been the mainstay uh, of the American space program in terms of uh, fuel. Um, there were problems, and we've uh, had two cancellations for launches. Well, the third time, as they say, is a charm. So we're going to see. Um, the, the launch now is scheduled, as I said a couple of weeks ago, for 12.07 a.m. November 14th of 2022, in about two weeks. We will be on the air because for us, that will be 10.07 p.m. November 13th, which is Sunday night, which is seven minutes, seven tetrahedral minutes after we go on the air. So what I'm planning to do, if the count is um, and you know proceeding normally, if we haven't had a, a call when they get into the terminal count, which is several minutes before, uh, we're going to go to the Cape Live and we will carry the launch of America's beginning of its return to the moon, ultimately with human beings, the first woman, the first person of color, um, 
you know, decades and decades after the 1972 mission of Apollo 17, we will go there live. Now, many a slip, twixt the cup and the lip. So that may not work. Um, something interesting, however, if you go to item number one on the other side of midnight, for those of you who are new to the show, um, what you want to do is go to the other side of midnight.com. That will take you to our homepage and, uh, you'll be able to see, um, on that homepage, a beautiful banner for tonight, which is very, uh, very baseball, something we've never done here before. Um, it basically says the Cosmic World Series of 2022. That's actually kind of an inside pun. Hyperdimensional realities behind the national pastime. Click on that. That will take you to the guest page. And right under the guest page, you will see a line which says fast links to items. Uh, click on my name. That will take you down to my items. Click on number one. This is an update direct from NASA headquarters as to what's going to be happening uh, this week relating to the launch of Artemis 1 next week. Uh, this week, Sunday, yeah, we're in this week, okay. So the launch is scheduled East Coast time for 12.07 a.m. Uh, Eastern. That'll be 10.07 our time. Um, on this Thursday uh, night, Actually, let me go to the link and I will read it to you directly. Um, there will be a teleconference at 12 p.m. on Thursday, November 4th, to discuss the status of the Artemis 1 flight test that will be launched by the Space Launch System from the Kennedy Space Center on the 14th. And on the um, uh, um, Friday, on the... Um, Let's see, what is it? That will be the uh, the, the uh, third? No, that will be the fifth. All right, on on Friday the 4th, sorry, at 12.01 a.m., which is really, you know, 10.01 a.m. We're not on the year, so you don't have to worry about that. But at 12.01 a.m. on Friday the 4th, which is one day before our Saturday night show, they're planning to roll the SLS rocket and the Orion spacecraft from the Vehicle Assembly Building three miles out the crawler way to the launch pad 39b uh in the middle of the night it takes hours and hours and they will not get there until dawn has broken over the cape and they actually have you know cameras and kind of a live feed and it's kind of fun to watch how incredibly slowly this thing has to move because when you move a several hundred ton stack of crawler and rocket and spacecraft. This is, of course, the biggest rocket that NASA has uh, fielded for a very long time, uh, since the Saturn V. Uh, if you roll it too fast, uh, it, it, it vibrates. And vibration is not good for spacecraft or begonias or beagles or human beings beyond a certain point. So they move it like at one mile an hour and that's an average. There are places where they slow down. And so it takes like, you know, from midnight till dawn for it to roll over to the pad. And then, of course, they have to raise it up and they have to jack it down. And so the whole thing is going to take all night into the morning. But they have a live set of cameras and they have a live uh, video feed, uh, not on NASA TV, but on, uh, I believe it's YouTube, to be able to watch all that. And I'm going to make a bold prediction which we will get into in more detail tomorrow night when we're doing something very, very interesting and kind of pre-Halloween spooky. Um, because Monday night, uh, or Monday afternoon actually, could be Monday morning, but it'll probably be Monday afternoon, um, there's going to be something very exciting happening in Washington that we're going to talk about tomorrow night vis-a-vis -vis NASA, UFOs, the Pentagon, what's going bump in the night, all that good stuff. So that takes care of item number one. Um, if you uh, get back to the homepage for the other side of midnight, there is item number two. Um, item number two is, of course, the uh, stats for the first game of the World Series between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Astros. 
And just so you understand the context of tonight, um, if you actually, why don't I go and read um, my actual promo that I wrote in the wee hours of this morning, which will give you a kind of a sense of why we're doing all this. Some of you may be wondering why, of all things, I suddenly decided to do a show on baseball tonight. Well, here's part of the answer from Ted Anthony, who writes for the Associated Press. Quote, baseball is America's game. The America that was stitching itself together in the first half of the 20th century and becoming a national mass culture. In retrospect, though, at a time when being American was more of a thing than ever before, it ended up being an exercise in candy-coating baseball with myth. Abner Doubleday, Cooperstown, 1839, to prove that baseball was indeed an American game. Like the country at the time, baseball was riding a wave of the emergence of more leisure time among the working class. Like the country of the time, it was transitioning from islands of influence into a truly national mindset, amplified and made immediate by the dawn of a critical new American invention, commercial radio, in 1920. 102 years later, that's tonight, the first, I'm sorry, last night, the first game of the World Series opened between two archetypal teams, the Philadelphia Phillies representing the hopes of our founding city, the American origins, and the Houston Astros created to literally represent the American future. Houston, NASA, and the astronauts who took this nation to the moon and are about to again. Two national archetypes representing the fundamental conflicts now swirling around all of us in 2022 between how and why America began and where and how America is going there. Well, that's why we're doing the show tonight. So let me let me do something interesting here. All right. Um, let me click, because you can click these days, and let me play something really remarkable from good old Abbott and Costello. Remember Abbott and Costello? They did an hysterical bit, and while we wait for Ron to get to where he can communicate, this is kind of cool, okay? Remember who's on first? Well, if you don't, or if you've never heard it, sit back and prepare for hysterical comedy. Crazy about baseball. Will you stand still? Pick up your hat. Go pick up your hat. Okay. Now look. Then you'll go and peddle your popcorn and don't interrupt the act anymore? Yes, sir. All right. But you know, strange may seem they give ball players nowadays very peculiar names. Funny names? Nicknames, pet not, names. Not as funny as my name, Sebastian Dinwiddie. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Funny than that? Oh, absolutely. Whee! Yes. Now, on the St. Louis team, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I want you to tell me the names of the fellows on the St. Louis I'm, team. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. You know the fellow's then, names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean, the fellow's name on first base. Who? The fellow playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? Well, what are you asking me for? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first base. Who is on first? Have you got a first baseman on first? Certainly. Then who's playing first? Absolutely. When you pay off the first base for every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. Why not? The man's entitled to it. Who is? Yes. So who gets it? Why shouldn't he? Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Whose wife? Yes. <laughs> After all, a man earns it. Who does? Absolutely. Well, all I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? Oh, no, no. What is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? That's what I'm trying to find out. Well, don't change the players. I'm about. not changing nobody. Take it easy. What's the guy's name on first base? What's the guy's name on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. We're not talking about him. How did I get on third base? You mentioned his name. If I mention a third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No, who's playing first? Stay off of first, will you? Well, what do you want me to do? Now, what's the guy's name on third base? Well, what's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. 
There I go, back on third again. Well, I can't change their names. Will you please stay on third base, Mr. Broadhurst? Now, what is it you want to know? What is the fella's name on third base? What is the fella's name on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third base. <laughs> you got an outfield? Oh, sure. St. Louis has got a oh, good outfield? Absolutely. The left fielder's name. Why? I don't know. I just thought I'd ask you. Well, I just thought I'd tell you. Then tell me who's playing left field. Who is playing first? Stay out of the infield! Don't mention their names out here. I want to know what's the fellow's name in left field. What is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. Third base. <laughs> oh, take it easy. Take it easy, man. <laughs> oh, that is so classic. I remember the first time I saw that, I was, I, I was just a kid, obviously, and... Part of the fun of that is you get so frustrated because if you're outside, it's kind of like being in multiple dimensions. If you're higher and you're looking down, it's very clear. But if you're in the skit, it's, it's hysterical. So do we have Ron with us? Ron Gerbron, are you there? Mr. Gerbron, are you there? Uh, no, I think we dropped Ron. We've got Robert Morningstar, who, as I said... Um, actually tried out for the Yankees, and he will tell us that amazing story shortly. We also got Andrew Curry. Now, you may know Andrew as a, uh, um illustrator, as an incredible artist, as someone... Yeah. Oh, as, as someone who uh, um, is, uh, uh, you know, he does storyboards for movies and television and commercials, and he's done several of the um, uh, Super Bowl incredibly expensive commercials uh, and they all start out as a story and a set of illustrations the so-called storyboard well Ron and I Andrew and I were talking one day and we we were talking about his coaching of his little league teams in Vancouver now baseball of course has incredibly expanded from the you know 20th century just as an American game it's now in South America it's in Central America it's in the Far East um, it's uh, uh, in, in Japan I believe there are even teams in China it's become not just an American game it's become a world game and so we were talking about how interacting with kids and teaching them sportsmanship and leadership and all those things that playing a team sport is supposed to inculcate in the next generation. And I said uh, kind of on a, uh, well, let's see, what was it? It, it, was a, it was a leap of faith. I said, what if we did a show on baseball? So, uh, Ron, are you with us yet? I'm not hearing Ron. Okay, I'm still not hearing Ron. Sorry for the technical problems, folks. Um, Skype is wide open. I'm here. There you are. Gosh. <laughs> communicating with yeah. Ron sometimes is more difficult than communicating with the far side of the moon, even if the Chinese didn't put up a satellite to make that really easy. So, Ron, are you with us? Yes, yeah, so, yeah, I am with you. I was out searching for a signal. Okay, well, it's still very garbled, so you might have to keep... Okay, searching. well... And no, this is not an Abbott and Costello skit. Fading <laughs> in and out, Ron. Yeah, very much. I'll tell you what, let me, while we're, while we're fixing um, uh, Ron's Skype, uh, Andrew, let me bring you in here. Um, talk about what got you as a Canadian into this incredible American pastime, and uh, we're going to back up that... Uh, that comment with some information from Ron when we can firm up his communications. Andrew? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, so you're right. You did come to me and say, hey, you want to do a show on baseball? And I said, sure. <laughs> you know, Richard, I'm a bit of a latecomer to baseball. I mean, I played it as a kid just for fun and with my friends and, you know, kind of through school and stuff, but never in a highly organized way. Like I was a basketball player and a swimmer and then eventually a triathlete and stuff like that. So I like real kinetic sports, things that have, you know, need a time on it, you know, where you run out of time, et cetera. 
And baseball just was this sort of strange, mystical, misty thing that, you know, would pass by and I'd play it with my friends. And I remember back in the early 90s when the Toronto Blue Jays won two World Series back to back. And I was walking with a a bunch of my friends. We were walking up uh, somewhere near, I don't remember, the neighborhood. And, you know, we I can't remember, we were young teenagers or something. And I remember um, this this gentleman comes by and he says, aren't you guys watching the final game of the World Series with Toronto? I think it was the second time they were about to win. And we all looked at him and said, no. And he started yelling at us, like we as if we'd committed some sort of sacrifice. And, you know, Richard, it wasn't until my, my middle son, um, when he was five years old, started playing Little League. And when he got on the field and he hit his first, like, huge hit, in those days, it was called like rookie, rookie junior. We call it in our in our league. It's like a, you know, they use a, a pitching machine, a little slinger, and the kids sort of hammer the ball, and they all learn how to, to fumble around in the field. And so, so was this in practice or during? This had to be in practice, right? Yeah, well, it was in the practice, but definitely in the game when he got his first big hit, and he and he, I think he even scored an you know an inside the park home run in a little mini field, and he lit up. He just lit up, and he told me, "I love this." You know, and all the and I, and then the first thing I thought was, oh no, you know, like, and the reason why is because I just didn't have an appreciation for the game. But you know, over the last ten years, and now moving on to eleven, um, I have you know become a student, a fan, and a, just an absolute lover of the game. I fall in love with this game every time I go back out there. Now I'm actually the coaching coordinator of our of our Mount Seymour Little League. I've sort of um, ascended to that position, and now I'm going to be the one sort of you know training the coaches, or at least getting the right people in place to do that, and um, you know player development. And I love it. I, I every time I step on the field, or every time I come around baseball, I learn something new. And you know, I it's I mean we're, we'll get into it as the show progresses, but I, I've had. You know what I would call some very interesting experiences already, just around the little kids' game, much less being around the big kids' game. And yeah, so that's sort of my introduction, and and I and I love it. I just uh, it's 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 not only a game, it's not only a sport, and I think it's one of the finest games on earth. I mean, that's my opinion. Just like you said, it's gone international. I mean, let's think about. Well, do you know that the Toronto Blue Jays are the only? international team in a quote world series that have ever won the world series ever with with mostly american players <laughs> but yes you're here you're, you're exactly correct yeah yeah which i've all I, when i was a kid i called them and said wait a minute world series because back those days it was it was endlessly you know dodgers and yankees dodgers and yankees brooklyn dodgers new york yankees uh it, it was repetitive i can't count on both hands how many times in the fall would roll around, you'd hear something on the news about World Series and it'd be Dodgers and Yankees. And I asked myself one day, because there was nobody else who was really into baseball in my my, my uh, family, why do they call it the World Series? Well, you know, Richard, I, and I want to, you know, later on get into some of the more, um, well, controversial. I mean, the sort of maybe esoteric side of baseball that some people think, well, actually a lot of people think and kind of whisper it in the back channels, but you don't get into it, you know, in a, in a big kind of mainstream kind of way. But I wonder if the planners of the game did one day see it being international because there has been talk of potentially one day, I, I've heard this. Um, Robert probably knows this too, but like it, baseball in Japan is huge, right? And they have their their Japanese league, and a lot of American players who either are uh, ex MLB guys will go and play out, you know, the last tail end of their MLB, career or Major League uh, Baseball. Baseball, <clears throat> yeah. Or you'll now start to get these fabulous Japanese players. I mean, we have many, or I mean, the MLB has. Well, we. You know, I mean, I'm in Canada, and we have the Blue Jays. So, uh, you know, there's these fabulous players coming from the Orient now, um, and it's not just like one or two guys. It's 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 truly becoming international here in uh, in North America. And I, there was talk, and I don't know where the talks went to, of possibly having. The winner of the Japanese championship play the winner of the Major League Baseball championship. I remember, I remember those conversations. Maybe it was that 10 would years be ago so cool. I know, I know. 
And then you got yeah, all this, the uh, Central American and South American fanaticism exactly. about baseball, kind of like yeah. what ours was 15, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, Richard, I, I and I know you probably want to get a couple of the other guys in here, but I, I, I want to say about baseball, and we'll sort of, you know, kind of go around the bases and jump into the outfield and send a few over the fence. <laughs> okay, so we're, hey, we're going to do lots of puns. As tonight, many punny cliches as we can cram in for the next four minutes. Yes, go ahead. But 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 yeah, Richard, I was going to say, this is one of the most interesting strategic games that I've ever been involved with just because of the sort of non-linear time quality of baseball. And I, and I, it, you know, because you, you, it's, it's, it's a game that is, you have to have an incredible amount of patience, and then when all hell breaks loose and chaos ensues, it's the it's the group, it's the guys, it's gals or whoever, who can play catch the best who win in the end. So it's an experience. It's not only it's an experience for the players and the managers and the coaches and the trainers, but it's it's the you know the viewers whether they're watching from TV or they're listening on their you know whatever listening device. Or they're there live witnessing it. It is Well, this you realize incredible. that Major League Baseball was the reason, probably, that we got our first Hollywood actor president, Ronald Reagan. Because Ronald Reagan started in radio, and in those days, they basically had a phone line from the radio studio. They didn't do remotes, didn't have the bandwidth or whatever, so they had to do it from the studio so they had the quality, and they would get the scores from the you know reporters in the field literally this case in the field and many times the phone line would go down according to the story and reagan would duplicate the whole game from a rundown just out of whole cloth he would make it up like he was narrating it live and that brought him to national attention and that brought him to hollywood and that brought him to the governorship and that brought him to the presidency so without baseball i can guarantee you that ronald reagan would not have become president of the united states wow isn't that amazing yeah, okay I didn't, I didn't. we've only got about uh, yeah. three, three minutes to the bottom of the hour Ron, are you on deck? Uh, yes, I'm back. You know, the sound quality is really terrible. Uh, uh, my emergency backup, specially stored away headset uh, isn't working, so I'm <clears throat> having to do it the other ways. You hear more from the crickets than you're used to. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what. Um, when, when, we, when we come back, and obviously we're here at the bottom of the hour, when we come back, what I'm going to do is to have Ron go delving deeply into the history of baseball because it turns out that there is something really amazing uh, that far transcends the Abner Doubleday myth and the idea that all, this all started just in a place called Cooperstown in 1839. It has an incredibly interesting, long historical and prehistorical antecedent and our resident generalist, Ron Gervron, has dug it out. <clears throat> you like all these puns? Has dug it out. And we're going to present it when we come back. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. And this is that amazing soundtrack from uh, the Robert Redford uh, home run at the end of The Natural. <laughs>
Ireland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back to Saturday night, October 29th. The Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies are playing the second game of the 2022 World Series tonight in Houston. Uh, we don't have a score yet. We don't know who is uh, uh, on first, who's on second, and who's winning. Uh, well, we do know kind of who's winning, but it's not over until, ah, I just have, I just have an update from Andrew. A table, why don't I like, bring in Andrew? Andrew, why don't you tell everybody live? Go for it. Yes. Yeah, so the Astros won tonight. Um, let me see if I can get you a score. I, I had it here just a second ago. It was 5-2. So 5-2, the Astros won. Uh, and tied tied now, 1-1, best of seven. I think they head back to Phil or head to Philadelphia now if it's a 2-2-1-1-1 format, meaning two games. Well, I think they have a travel day tomorrow, Sunday, and the next game is going to be Monday night, which is the 31st in Philadelphia, Halloween. Yeah. And there's a backdrop to the third game of the World Series, the so-called Cosmic World Series, which this is because it is between the Phillies and the Astros. So, Ron, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Excellent. Okay. Uh, I want to go back far beyond uh, Abner Doubleday. You've been delving into the real origins of this incredibly international team of team sport, team sport. And you found some very interesting overtones and undertones to things that we've kind of heard about for a long time, but no one has really put them together in the mainstream. So please begin at the beginning. Uh, okay. Well, the beginning was uh, on the... Uh couple of weeks ago and asked about a show about baseball. And I said, Richard, you know how much you know about sports? Um, the, um, which isn't much, <laughs> but, um, as far as baseball goes, uh, I thought it might be der- fair to say that it was derived from the, something called the Mayan ball game. And it's not a very auspicious name for something that's, uh, so influential and so ancient, but um, the uh, archaeologists and anthropologists that deal with this have been arguing about it for years, and nobody's quite sure what they called it. Could it uh, Pak to Pak is one of the names. Uh, Pints is another. Um, and neither one of those ne- means something exciting. But the point is that they invented rubber or discovered rubber the uh, folks in Mesoamerica. And when the Spanish got here, uh, the most captivating piece of information that I ran across in my research was an account from the two of the Spanish uh, conquistadors, I guess they were, uh, that were looking at these rubber balls, which were everywhere. They were everywhere. Uh, the um, Had no trouble cranking them out. They had never seen rubber before. So their idea of something that would, might bounce a little was an inflated ball. And unless they had much better lungs than we do, it's kind of hard to 
put 40 pounds of air in a basketball with just blowing on it <laughs> with your mouth. So uh, they, uh, they had no experience with bouncy things. And the account literally says, and if you drop the, one of these balls, they bounce and then it bounces again and then it bounces again and it keeps doing that in ever decreasing arcs. So it was kind of like a revelation of perpetual motion. Yeah, and and some basic physics too. I thought that yeah, but was they funny had no idea the physics, but they just saw something right. that kept bouncing and bouncing and bouncing in a in in the new world amongst a civilization that they looked down on as primitive and bloodthirsty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Whereas at every level, except perhaps the bloodletting, and some people argue that, uh, they were far more sophisticated and cosmopolitan than these stra- these unwashed strangers from Europe. It was trendy in Europe in the 16th century to think of um, excessive bathing as unhealthy. So bef- all those- be- before we get into the Mayan ball game, which I want to say for a little yeah. later, let's go back to the Abner Doubleday. How did the damn Doubleday legend, which is absolute fantasy, how did it get started? You know, uh, I was amazed at how unable I was to find out a proper reason. But I can tell you this. Admiral Doubleday was a um, well-decorated Civil War general. Uh, he had terrible hair. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, Oh, look at the picture I'm going to be Why the hell would anybody look like that? Crazy bit. But uh, the, uh, aside from that, uh, a council was formed, a commission, an early Robertson panel, um, and I can't say exactly who, this was 1899, uh, to determine who was going to get credit for inventing baseball. It sounds to me like it was a bureaucratic move setting up to know, regularize it and authorize it and oversee it and everything. And they wanted, uh, wanted a list of names uh, because people have always played with balls and sticks. I'll get to that in a second. They, um, but uh, they said Abner Doubleday did this. This was after three years, by the way. Next time you see a tax form in front of you or a ballot about some tax increase to do something, even in 1899, it took a panel of chosen authorities, and I don't know what that would be, uh, three years to decide that, well, let's give it to Abner Doubleday, you know, as if they were giving him a, a, now, a cheese Ab- tray. Now, Abner, Double- Abner Doubleday was of the same family <clears throat> as the famous Doubleday Publishing Company, right? To the best of my knowledge, yes. So he was a mover and shaker. So was it basically, let's give it to the oligarchs? Uh, that's what it looks like. Hmm. That's so what, what it looks like. So what's the real story? Okay. Uh, the real story is that there is a British game that goes back to about the 14th century called Rounders. And it has a diamond-shaped playing field. It's got four bases. Uh, although, as apparently, you can sort of operate from any one as home plate. I mean, I don't know if the pitcher swiveled around or something. I could not find um, pictures and things of that other than of the ball field. But the differences between it and baseball were significant, but uh, not that many. In other words, you hit a ball with a stick, and then if um, you had three tries at it, three strikes, and you're out, or you're out uh, when they pitched it, and... um, then when you started running around the bases, you could run around the bases, and I guess they got this from cricket. You could just keep going, you know. So you didn't get uh, you could keep going and racking up points, uh, running around the until they were able to hit you with the baseball. So if you hit it far out, and they had fielders, I presume, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the outfield guys caught it or ran after it, picked it up if he missed it. Then he threw it in toward the center of the field, and another player tried to then pick it up and hit the runner. Right. Not tag. Hit. I mean, nail him. You know, they had, <laughs> they had serious injuries. And uh, the, well, that, that sounds was, kind of so exciting. 
Uh, yeah, and the uh, there was an equivalent situation with the Mayan game, as far as I can tell. So there were all these echoes back and forth, but there's no evidence that the uh, Mayan game Go ahead. Uh, actually caused people to play baseball. They were already playing rounders. Uh, the uh, There are notes from George Washington during the Revolutionary War about rounders games. And um, they they occasionally called it ball game um, or baseball. The way the term baseball actually turns up in the uh, mid 18th century. Uh, but um, it was, uh, yeah, the two were separate, but uh, parallel. And just jump ahead a tiny bit the in the Mayan story. Uh, it's very ritually based, which I know is the part you want to get to later. I assume the uh, <laughs> yes. That's what that's what's literally behind it. Now, whether this is what caused the first person to do it, you know, there's nobody that says that anywhere. Uh, don't know, but it's it's part of it, and it became actually an important political item. Uh, they were said they would literally settle what would be a war by um, the champions from each side uh, playing some pits or Takapak or whatever. This is, this is in Central America, in, in Mayan country. Yes, okay. yes. And actually the Almecs, it was the Almecs, if anybody came up with it originally, it was the Almecs who predated the Mayans by half a millennia. Half a millennia. Hmm. And uh, the, uh, I mean, some were so still we, around. Well, so we but, kicked out Doubleday as the real origin of baseball. Rounders right. came from England. Do we know the origin of rounders? No, it's uh, well. It depends. If I if I uh, if I read a chronicle of it from Germany, it'll say it started in Germany. If I read one from Italy, it'll say it started in Italy. Oh, people like to hit a ball with a stick, you know. So I mean, the um, uh, and God knows how many variants there were. And remember, there was also an aggressive point in it where you had to nail the um, runner with the ball. But, um, yeah, it must have made for some interesting running. I can see them running out of, out, away from the baseline, <laughs> out of so, bounds. So, oh, oh, so, so, so did Doubleday actually kind of reformalize the game and, you know, take out the part where you could run forever and you basically threw a pitch to try to conk the guy and knock him out and... That kind of thing. In other words, did the structure of the game that we're familiar with here and now all over the world, did that come from Doubleday or that period in Cooperstown? Well, you're going to love this answer because I know uh, this is not something I usually quote as a source, but you can even go to Wikipedia where whoever they cribbed it from says that there's no evidence that he ever even saw a game. Good grief. Uh, so it was purely it was purely isolated from the game itself, from anything I can find out. I can be wrong. If somebody calls up and stuff, that's very nice. If I had, if I could afford it, I'd buy you dinner. But I I couldn't find that missing piece. Amazing. Um, okay, let me let me move to Robert. Robert Morningstar is our resident civilian intelligence expert. He's got a degree in psychiatry or is a psychology. Robert, I always forget. Psychology. Psychology. But really, the thing that makes him perfect for tonight is he has had this fanaticism growing up in New York about baseball since the Yankees and the Brooklyn Dodgers kept hitting it out every season in the so-called World Series. So, Robert, start with where your obsession began. Well, I guess growing up in the 1950s, 1957, Mickey Mantle won the Triple Crown. That was uh, most home runs, highest RBIs, and uh, highest batting average. So that sound, I didn't see a game in 1957, but that sound was all over New York City. Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mantle. And uh, over the next few years, I got familiar with it. But my connection to the Yankees began in 1948 when I was in my mother's womb she came to New York because she had polyps on her throat. So she went to see the the top specialist, my uncle Tony, who lived in Brooklyn and was a Brooklyn Dodger fan, took her to the office. And while they're sitting in there waiting to see the doctor, who walks in but Babe Ruth? And my uncle says, 
Inez, look, it's Babe Ruth. She says, yeah, who's he? She <laughs> said, he's the greatest baseball player that ever lived. And, he, and my uncle, he's thinking, I got to meet Babe Ruth. I got to meet, I got it. I'm going to introduce my niece to Babe Ruth. So he stands up and he says, come here, come with me. And uh, she's five months pregnant. And she says, Mr. Ruth, I'd like to introduce you to my niece, Ines. And he stood up and my mother shook hands with him. And I'm in the womb. And my mother spoke with a Spanish accent. When she told the story, she used to love to tell the story. She said, he was so big. <laughs> so, like she was talking big. about a red. Big. Yeah, big. Like, he was so big. Like, like, like Desi Arnaz, big, big. Okay. Exactly, exactly. So that's I, that's my, I got that touch, you know, that went right through my mom into my womb and then in, in the womb where I was. So then in 57, 58, 59, Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mantle is hitting a home, he's hitting home runs that like no one else had ever seen. And uh, I got into it through uh, softball and grammar school. But then in 1960, I got into hardball. And that's all I did for summers, uh, for the next five summers. So, um, of course, 1961 was one of the, I think for me, it was the greatest year in baseball because of the Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris home run race. The first time anybody had challenged Babe Ruth's record going for the 60. So these two guys, Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris, start knocking them out. And by April, everybody was calculating, holy mackerel, these guys are on a tear. You know, they could uh, break uh, uh, Babe Ruth's record. So there was a big split here. Most now, people. Now his, now his record was 60. Yeah, his record was 60. Tetrahedral 60. And when did he hit his final? home run before the record got broken? Do you mean uh, Roger Maris? No, 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 Mantle. Oh, Mantle hit his, his, his home run, his last home run, 54, sometime in August, but he had the misfortune of breaking his foot. So he had to step out of the race at 54, and then Roger Maris uh, plotted on alone. But I want to say something about 1961, and I want to say something about Roger Maris because his image is burned into my memory and it has to do with this. I went out to a couple of ball games in 61 when they were at 44, 45, everybody wanted to see them. So I went with my cousin who was at Columbia University and the game opened up and they announced, ladies and gentlemen, the New York Yankees and they all ran out and I knew all the numbers, you know, my favorite players. Of course, I was looking for number seven, Mickey Mantle, number six, Cleet Boyer, number eight, Yogi Berra, he didn't have to run too far because he was the catcher. And then I glanced and Roger Maris was running out to right field. And that's when I saw the greatness of Roger Maris as what I call the most perfect baseball player I ever saw in my whole life. And it has to do with this. When the Yankees ran out to the field, I was looking at the numbers and all the numbers were bouncing up and down and going side to side. Now, Roger Maris was in right field, and I was on the third base grandstand looking straight out at him at his back. There was a porch. There was a low concrete porch, about three feet high, four feet high, in right field. And Roger Maris's number didn't bounce up and down, didn't go sideways. It just got small, like you're watching a, a railway train moving away on rails and or like, or like you're zooming out in, in a movie yeah yeah exactly and I said wow look at that and then I looked at his whole body and his feet looked like they weren't touching the ground his feet his heels never touched the ground he was running on the toes and that image is is burned into my memory and it's something that I learned to recognize in great athletes great performers and the great Tai Chi master Cheng Man Cheng, my teacher, the last time I saw him, as he walked away, his feet looked like they didn't touch the ground. Huh. Now, uh, yeah, so this is a quality, it's a way to, uh, a certain alignment, balance. And when people slip into it, they become super something. Michael Jackson, Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly. And I owe it to Gene Kelly that in 1958 or 59, he did a program for CBS 
and he did a program called Sports as Dance. He wanted to encourage people to take dance seriously as an athletic, um, as a sport, basically. So what he did is he lined up all the greatest athletes of that era, 1959. I remember Bob Cousy in basketball and uh, Arnold Palmer in golf, Mickey Mantle in uh, baseball. And he showed how every one of these athletes was a dancer. And he, he removed a certain stigma from, from dance by playing it off with these superstars in sports. And that program made such an impression on me that I'm still talking about it, you know, 64 years, 64 years later. So I, I Gene Kelly also is one of the greatest athletes of all time. When you see him in the Three Musketeers or the, the Pirates, you see what an amazing physical specimen he was. And these are all centered human beings. So Roger Maris, we did, uh, Andrew and I did a commemorative uh, in uh, 2021 uh, to the Roger Maris making Mantle home run race. And I got an interview that was done with Roger Maris's uh, teacher. To speech software on the market. And she was, uh, she, I'm hearing something in the background. Anyway, it's gone. So Roger Maris's high school teacher said that he was one of the best students she ever had. He was always alert. He loved it. And what she was teaching was geometry. Ah, so Roger Maris, ah. Roger Maris grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. And in high school, he was a, a state a track and field champion. So what he was working on was perfect body movement. And you can see that in his swing. I love the photograph that I provided there. It says Roger Maris's 61st uh, home run. And if you look at his form, his form practically makes a perfect equilateral triangle. Mm-hmm. And if you look at his foot, his front foot, he doesn't roll over. His right foot is perfectly planted and he's swinging around. He also had a very level swing. So when Roger Maris hit home runs, they were line drives. Mickey Mantle had a different style. He would coil up his spine. He'd curl over really tightly. And when he swung his bat, he'd swing the bat with an uppercut, but he'd also straighten up his back. So the ball is getting lift, not only from the swing of the bat, but from the stretching up of the of the spine. So when Mickey Mantle finishes his swing, he's always looking up. And that's how he hit these towering home runs. And I mean, there's something there that says Mickey Mantle's longest home runs. And it started when he was 18 and 19. He was hitting 600-foot home runs, you know, in, in uh, before he got to the major leagues. But in uh, 1955, I believe it is, he hit a ball clear out of Griffith Stadium, which was where the Washington Senators used to play. Or I think they were, yeah, the Washington Senators or Washington Nationals. He hit it out of the park, across the street, into a parking lot. Ah. And, the, and it was measured at 565 feet on the fly. Now, the, the other one is twice... Twice he almost hit a baseball out of Yankee Stadium, and there's a photograph there that says um, Mickey Mantle hits the lights in uh, Yankee Stadium. So one time he hit the facade; it hit the six inches below the the roof of uh, Yankee Stadium and bounced back. And the physicists got to work instantly. It was they said it was like a cannon when he hit the ball; it was like a cannon <laughs> shot. And the ball, the physicist said, this ball was traveling 150 miles an hour. And it could have traveled 736 feet if it hadn't been obstructed. Hmm. And then earlier, around 1959, he hit another one that would have left the stadium, except that it hit the lights and got bounced back in. So uh, he was legendary. And I have to say, you know, these these men had... in. They had not only strength, they had might. They were mighty. Mickey Mantle was only five foot eleven and weighed 170 pounds in 1957 when he when he broke the triple or won the triple crown. And Roger Maris was six feet tall, a little less than 200 pounds. So they had this thing that in Tai Chi we call internal strength. 
Mm. And internal strength comes from being perfectly balanced and perfectly well aligned. I think so, we have a recording of the Maris 61st home run with uh, Phil Rizzuto as the announcer, I think. Yeah. Is that number I four? Sent, I actually sent in two. I wanted to give the audience a sense of uh, that home run race. So I included one home run by Mickey Mantle and then, of course, the 1961. But if uh, Keith doesn't have the Mickey Mantle uh, home run, we can hear the Roger Maris. And, folks, this was... I think we do. It's Mantle hits 565-foot home run. Is that the one? Uh, no. No, there's it's it's a it's a video oh, link okay. that I okay. my let original me, email. Let me let me. But go, anyway, let, let me. You, I, I'd like to play it as an actuality. Yeah, I think we, we should give credit to both of them, and then you get a sense of what it was like. You know, Mantle Forty One. Okay, well, Roger I I don't know I don't know where the Mantle one is. So. Um, yeah, I actually it's in the email that I sent to um, to Keith. Oh, well, maybe so, we can. So it's not, so let's right. go. Let, let, let's let, go with Roger Maris. Let's go to Maris. Okay, this is yeah. Phil Rizzuto, who was a hell of an announcer after being a player for many, oh, many, yeah. many years. Here's yeah. Roger Maris's 61st home run in 1961. This trick to get gas for up, a up, up. No, we don't want to do that. Uh, gosh, I keep hitting the wrong things. Yes, standing up. Waiting to see if Maris is going to hit number 61. Here's the windup. Fastball hit deep to right. It's looking it. Way back there. Oh, You know, there's something about a home run and the team and the crowd. It never gets old. Wow. Well, so that, that has to be one of the most electrifying moments in baseball history. And uh, it's sad to say that, uh, you know, the old timers had a grudge. They put it had a grudge. Oh, he doesn't deserve, to, you know, because he played more games. They gave him an asterisk. But it's pointed out that Babe Ruth never had to play a night baseball game. He didn't have to travel cross country, suffer jet lag and all of that. So the... Um, the New York sports press was a bunch of vipers, you know, and then they they harassed him, and they uh, they tried to corner him with stupid questions, and Roger Maris was getting fed up. He was he was just an you know I would I would call country boy, but he was just a, a regular guy from Fargo, North Dakota, and he comes into the Big Apple and he's surrounded by millions of people lionizing him, but. I remember one question that really drove him mad. You know, he's in the middle of the quest for the 61 home runs and some stupid reporter says to him, what would you rather do? Hit 61 home runs or hit 300? <laughs> Roger Maris was disgusted with the question what? and he, he complained about it. The other thing that the press did. Okay, is, we are at the top of the hour, so hold it there. Oh, we're talking about Major League Baseball, and speaking of Gene Kelly, together with Frank Sinatra in a remake of Take Me Out to the Ball Game, this is what they did in 1948. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame, because it's one, two, Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. 
We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm-hmm.